Welcome back to Heart and Soul Gospel Ministries, Unity in Christ program. If this is your first time listening, my name is Christine Kim, and I'm the host of this program. Among all of the 66 books of the Bible, when reading the book of Ruth, I think especially that everything happens solely by the grace of God. During the time of Judges, you were able to see how God did not give up on the people who appeared to have no hope and guided them by Ruth. The book of Ruth is intertwined during the period of the Judges. It reveals to us how the death of one man named Elimelech leaves two women in a state of despair, and those two women are Naomi and her daughter-in-law Ruth. These two women lose their husbands and sons, facing hopelessness and sadness having to worry about how they must carry on their lives. It is said that during this period in time, women did not have much power or the ability to economically provide for themselves and even more for a family. Naomi and Ruth have lost all hope and faith, left with nothing and returned to Bethlehem. But as you begin to read chapter 2, you can witness how God begins to work in their lives. As Ruth goes into the fields to glean, Who did God prepare for her to meet? We'll come back to share more after our first song.
It says in Ruth chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, So she departed and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the portion of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. Now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. God prepared Boaz to be there for Ruth. Not only did Boaz allow Ruth to glean from his fields, But he commanded his servants to pull out for her some grains from the bundles and leave it for her to glean. Then it says in Ruth chapter 2, verse 14 At mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here, that you may eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. So she sat beside the reapers, and he served her roasted grain, and she ate and was satisfied and had some left. Not only did Ruth eat until she was satisfied, But she had some left over to even bring back to her mother in law Naomi. It also says in verse 17 So she gleaned in the field until evening, then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. They say that an ephah of barley is enough so that two women can eat enough for almost two weeks. God did not forget about Naomi and Ruth, who lost their husbands and sons and had nowhere to go. As Naomi sees Ruth come back with an ephah of barley and delicious leftover foods, how grateful must she have been of God's great grace? In the circumstance they were in, I don't think there would have been anything else they could ask for. But reading this, I think about how God graciously overwhelms them with His grace that they could expect nothing else. However, God's plan for them did not end here. His overflowing grace continues to be revealed in their lives in chapters 3 and 4. But there might be many of us who are happy enough just by reading what happens in chapter 2 that they ate until they were satisfied or gleaned an ephah of barley. Compared to the despair they were going through in chapter 1, the overflowing grace revealed in chapter 2 was probably enough. There are many of us who think this is more than enough. My stomach is satisfied and there are still leftovers. Thank you for this grace. I cannot ask for any more. Ruth and Naomi didn't even expect or see what God was about to reveal to them in chapters 3 and 4. Not only does Boaz redeem Ruth, but through them begin the genealogy that leads down to David. 
At the end of chapter four, Boaz and Ruth have a child and name him Obed, who is the father of Jesse, the father of David. It says in chapter four, verses twenty-one and twenty-two, and to Salmon was born Boaz, and to Boaz Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse David. That is right. God prepared Boaz for Ruth, and through the both of them began the line of David. Which ultimately led down to the birth of Jesus Christ. Ruth probably never imagined of this great, glorious plan. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come longing just to bring something that's of worth. That will bless your heart. I'll bring you more than a song, for a song in itself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear. You're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made. It when it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus.
heart into my heart. I'll bring you more than a song. I'll bring you Coming up next is a sermon by Pastor Francis Chan of Cornerstone Church. Today's topic is Grace, Grace, Part 1, based on Galatians chapter 1, verses 10 through 24. I hope you have a blessed time with Pastor Francis. This is, uh, this is my boy. This is my boy, Zeke. And uh, Zeke just turned two a few weeks ago. Hey! You say hi? You say hi? <laughs> but um, I brought him up here because last weekend I was in Moore Park at, uh, at our church plant out there and Gordy was preaching. And he preached this passage that really impacted me. It was Ephesians 3.17 where Paul prays for the church. And he says, I pray that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Paul's prayer was, I want you to know how much God loves you. I pray that somehow, supernaturally, you would grasp how much God loves you. And, and he, he was talking about how we have no clue how much God loves us. Because it talks about how it's this love that surpasses knowledge. And, and I was thinking about, you know, my kids made me think about later how, you know, right now, as much as I love him, he has no clue, Right? He, he might have some inkling, some idea. Yeah, I'm sure this guy holding me likes me. He, you know, plays with me, throws things at me, that type of stuff. I mean, I, but I, I love this guy. You know, I, I just love having a boy. I just, I don't even call him Zeke. I just call him boy all the time. Come here, boy. It just feels good. And, um, huh. Right, boy? Huh? Hey, boy. And, and, and I was just thinking, you know, I, do I really believe this about God? That, that God has this love for me that I don't even comprehend. That he loves me so much and I don't even get it. And I, I was praying this week. I was praying for the church. I was like, Lord, you know, I, I bet you there's a bunch of people here who have no idea how much you love them. And that's why Paul prayed. A lot of times we talk about our love for God here. And I, I question you and go, do you really love God? Do you really love God? But Paul's prayer here is, do you really know how much God loves you? Do you really believe that? And uh, I also got to ask, does this, uh, just, just looking at my son and I, does this look anything like your prayer life? Like when you pray to God, is this what you picture? A security, an intimacy, just a, you know, you're in the arms of Almighty God. And he's your father, he's your daddy. When you pray, does it feel anything like that? Think about your prayer life right now. Does that look like your, is this, this is your prayer life. You just go, yeah, that's totally me and God. That's totally me and God. That's just God and I. We, we just, it's, uh, it's this intimate, loving relationship where I just know I'm totally secure. I have nothing to worry about. And I can just hang out. This is what God desires of our prayer lives. This is what God desires of our relationship with him. And he wants us to know how much he loves us. This is such important stuff because uh, we got to get it. We got to understand that God is the one. God is the one who loves you first. I mean, what's the good news? The good news, after all, is God is pursuing you. That's the good news. I was trying to think, okay, if I could dwindle down the gospel into one sentence, what is the gospel? What is the good news? It's that God is in pursuit of you. That's the good news. It's like God loves me. God, and we got to get this. And uh, I, I, I struggle with this. I struggle with this. I brought a chair today and I just thought, you know, I'm going to sit down and give this message because one of my, uh, one of my biggest issues that I have in life is I have a hard time just sitting down and really believing that God is crazy about me. 
I always feel like I got to do something. I always feel like I, I got to prove something to him. And I want to show him my love and show him that I love him back. And can I just sit down and really, really believe in my heart that it's God that loves me and he's the one that's been in pursuit of me. And I, I've been looking at this passage in, uh, in Galatians 1 when Paul's sharing his testimony. And, and it was so good for me because if you look at Paul's life, it's obvious that God was the one that loved Paul. And God was the one that went after him. And as I was uh, studying this and I was reflecting on Gordy's message from last weekend, I thought, man, I've got a lot of issues. Like I, I And I, I thought, okay, I, I can't be the only one. There's probably others of you right now in this room who struggle really, really believing that God loves you. And that there's a reality that God loves you more than you can even comprehend. I've been realizing as I look at this passage, I've got I've got so many insecurities myself just as a person. Um, And I don't want to get all psychological on you, but I, I know some of it is just, you know, my mom died giving birth to me. And so I always felt like my dad resented me being born. Like, I just really believe that if he could live his life over um, he would have just wished I was never born. And we never had a conversation. My dad and I never had one conversation I could remember. Um, you know, when I was born, he sent me off to Hong Kong to grow up with my grandmother. And uh, and then he got remarried and reestablished here. Um, so I moved back to the States. But then when he was, uh, or when I was like eight or nine years old, my stepmom died in a car accident. and uh, And my dad got married again. And then he died when I was 12. And and I, it's just the way I feel. I, I feel like he never really wanted me alive. Uh, he, he'd get so ticked off at me. Everything I did wrong, he would just go after me and just, I don't know. Maybe he loved me. Maybe he wanted me there, but it, I didn't think that way. And And so when I read in the Bible about God being this fatherly figure, it's hard for me to get past some of this stuff naturally. It's hard for me to just think, oh, cool, he's a father figure and that means he loves me. And Because the only picture I really have is, well, well, then he's ticked off at my existence. I bug him. I do things that he still hasn't forgiven me of. And I better not do anything wrong or he'll be really angry and really punish me. And so that, that's the only picture I had in my mind of God. And then God gave me these kids. You know, he gives me my first kid, then my second, third, fourth, fifth. You know, he just gives me these kids. And that was so cool because when I first had my oldest daughter, Rachel, and I and I just loved her unconditionally, and I, I, I wanted to communicate how much I loved her, and I thought she has no clue how much I care about her. She has no clue how crazy I am about her. It got in my head like, wow, God thinks that way about me? That's what the Heavenly Father is like? And And when I read about Paul's life, and you guys, I'm just getting this stuff. I mean, yesterday afternoon, I'm still getting this stuff. I, I start reflecting on on my life and God's presence in my life. And I start thinking, wow, he really was with me all along. You know, you, you start realizing God really did pursue me. And I look back and you know what? I'm thankful for the loss of my parents. I go, wow, Lord, you made me think about the brevity of life. He made me value and cherish every moment, you know, just not knowing if I've got tomorrow with my kids. And and you, you got me thinking that way. And then I, I think about high school and how God reached out to me. And he, you know, one of my, my best friend at the time took me to a youth group. And I, I heard about Jesus. And, and then the youth pastor kind of took me under his wing and taught me about Jesus. And eventually got into ministry and and was an absolute failure, an absolute hypocrite, and just saw how God even carried me through that time and still kept loving me through it. And and then even the the start of this church and, you know, getting married to Lisa and just going, man, I didn't do that on my own. That was God just bringing the perfect person for me and God, God looking out for me, you know, and I, I just started looking through life and going, wow, he really was with me all this time. He really is this loving father. And I just took some time yesterday just reflecting over life and going, no, God's been there all along and and realizing, okay, I can feel secure in him. 
I can just surrender and go, you know what? Because I, I always have in the back of my mind, I don't know if any of you guys deal with this, but this this fear, like you don't want to get too close to someone because you're going, man, I don't know. I don't know if they really love me. I don't know if the love's really there. And and so you, you just have these doubts and then you, you kind of feel that way with God. I almost have this fear of believing that God really loves me like the Bible says. Like like that that I really can't fathom how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I've struggled believing that. Oh, come on, God. And, uh, you know, during uh, our, our prayer time with the worship team this morning, you know, Sarah was just quoting this verse about how God's thoughts about us are innumerable and how God just can't stop thinking about us. It's just too wonderful for us to understand. And I mean, do you really believe that? I mean, can you sit there in your chair right now, not doing anything and just believing and going, God is crazy about me. I noticed Jeff over there and I still remember a few years ago I was heading out for a trip where I just wanted to be alone with God. And just when I saw your face, it reminded me of I was just heading out to the mountains. I just, you know, I wanted to just get alone with God. I just wanted to not talk to another human being and just just be with Jesus and see how long I could last out in the mountains by myself, just talking to God. And, and I didn't know where the mountains were, so Jeff had to take me and uh, <laughs> and show me where they were. I was like, oh, okay, there they are. And uh, it kind of showed me where I could just go and not be seen by anyone. And so I came back, and and then as I was heading out, I remember him praying for me. And I remember his prayer. He says, he goes, Francis, he says, God, I'm so excited for Francis because I know how he just wants to be alone with you for a few days. And then he prayed and he said, and I'm so happy for you, God, because I know how you've wanted this time with Francis. And I remember when he prayed that I didn't say anything to him, but I thought. That's wrong, you know, like. It just felt blasphemous to me. It really did. I, I felt like you can't say that. You can't say God's in heaven wanting this time with Francis. I mean, because that, that was my perspective. And I remember even leaving for the mountains with that thought in mind. It's like, okay, I'm pursuing God here. And Jeff's prayer really bothered me because I didn't believe it. And, and I really was like looking through scripture trying to refute him in some ways. Because the prayer just echoed in my mind. And I thought, God doesn't want this time with me. God's not longing to hear from me. And as the more I study the scriptures, the more I go, ah, oh, that is true. Like, God's the one that's after me. God's the one that's in pursuit of me. And, and still, even now, years later, I'm like still grappling with this, still struggling with it. But it, it's just been helpful being in the word of God. And, and I don't know if you guys, or some of you are sitting here going, what on earth is he talking about? And others of you are going, man, I totally get that. I totally know what he's talking about. Um, and I, I don't, I don't want to say I've got all these scars and wounds that I'll never get over. I, I'm, what I'm saying is, as I look over my relationship with God, it's really looking at him closely and what he's done in my life that's enabled me to get over this stuff. I'm going, God, no, this isn't coincidence, the way my life turned out. I'm looking at everything and going, no, you had a piece in everything. And, and the reason why this passage hit me so hard was Paul here, Paul's being attacked by people. And people are saying, come on, Paul's not the real deal. Remember the people are teaching a new gospel and they're saying, come on, Paul didn't know what he's talking about, this love of God stuff. You, you got, yeah, Jesus loves you. He died for you, but you got to do this, 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 this and this. And Paul doesn't know what he's talking about. He just heard a few things from a few people. And so then he kind of exaggerated and on and on and on. He's not a real apostle. He's not this. He's not that. And what Paul writes here in Galatians is he's writing to the church. He's going, what are you talking about? The stuff I'm teaching you isn't just stuff that someone told me. And I wasn't a part of this thing where people instructed me to believe a certain way. He goes, the stuff I experienced, I got directly from God. He goes, the gospel I'm sharing with you, that came out of the mouth of God straight to me and I am sharing it with you. It's not just stuff that I learned from other people. And he just kept defending how, no, this has been about God and me. It's about me and my relationship with God. And the things that he has taught me over the years. 
And, and it's such a great passage because it, it makes us all in this room go, okay, am I in this room really because it's about God and me? Or am I here because of my parents, because of my friends, because it was just my upbringing? Or can I say that, no, 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 no one in this room can convince me that there is no God and that God doesn't love him because I have such an amazing relationship with God. My wife can't talk me out of it. My kids can't talk me out of it. No one. Francis, you can't stand up on that stage and tell me there's no God. I don't care if you change and tell me there's no God. I know there is one because of this relationship I've had with him. It's about he and I. We're in love. Can you really say that today? Is it about you and God? Paul, Paul says in uh, Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, he goes, I want you to know, brothers, he goes, the gospel I preached isn't something that man made up. He goes, I didn't receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later just returned to Damascus. So Paul's saying here, he goes, you guys are saying that I'm hearing stuff from other people. He goes, he goes, what do you mean I'm just following people? What do you mean I'm just listening to people? He goes, that's what I used to do. Paul says, come on, you remember me. You guys know me. Paul had a reputation. Paul says, you remember me? I'm the one that was trying to destroy the church. That was my goal. That was Paul's goal. I'm going to kill this church because I don't believe in this Jesus Christ. He goes, that was me. He goes, I was zealous for the traditions of my father's. He goes, I've got this generation, I've got this lineage of these traditions, and these things we're supposed to do, these religious acts. He goes, and so I was doing that. That's when I was a people pleaser. I was just doing what my parents wanted. I was just doing what people wanted me to do. He goes, in fact, he goes, man, I had everything going for me. He says, I was advancing. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews my own age. Paul was this brilliant student of the rabbi Gamaliel. He was on his way. He was he was one of the most well-respected young rabbis of his time. And he was out trying to persecute the church. He goes, that's what pleasing people got me. That's what I did when I just listened to people. He goes, but then when God... But when God got a hold of me, and I want us to look at the story. In fact, if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 9. Because Paul's conversion experience is amazing. Most of you guys know it, but I, I, it was just good for me to read through again and just be reminded of how God went after Paul, who at that time his name was Saul. God later changes it to Paul. But in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says this, meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Okay. So you got the picture? Saul is, he's gotten orders now 
He went to the high priest. He goes, hey, can I get letters so that if I find anyone belonging to this way and this Jesus thing, I, I can arrest them, I can kill them. I mean, his point, like he says in Galatians, I wanted to destroy, I wanted to put into extinction the church of Jesus Christ. So this is Saul, and he's going after these Christians. You read a couple of chapters earlier in, in chapter 7 when Stephen was stoned and Saul was there giving his approval. That's right. Kill him. Let's kill these Christians. Let me get some orders because I want to kill more of these Christians. And so he's minding his own business, going after pleasing his family, pleasing his ancestors, everything else. He goes, and suddenly this light strikes me. I'm walking with these guys looking for more Christians to persecute. And suddenly I'm blinded. And I hear a voice from heaven saying, why are you persecuting me? Okay, my question to you right now is, what did Saul do to deserve that? Why did God reach out to Saul and say, I'm going to go after him, I'm going to love him, I'm going to speak to him, I'm going to turn him around, I'm going to show him the truth about me. Why did he do that? Was it because Saul was such a good person? Was it because Saul was a person that sought after God? No, in fact, if you read in Galatians 1.10, it says, If I were still trying to please men, I wouldn't be a servant of Christ. See, Paul was just trying to please men. Here he was, he was pursuing the traditions of his fathers. He goes, I was doing what people wanted me to do, but then suddenly God got a hold of my life. That's his story. Now, some of you in this room may think, well... Maybe God went after Saul because he saw that at least he was passionate about something. That God looked down on the earth and said, look, you know, here's a guy that at least he's passionate. At least he's passionate about God. Even though he doesn't know what he believes right now, at least he's passionate. Maybe that's why he went after Saul. Those thoughts have ran through my mind before. But what does Paul say in Galatians 1? Galatians 1 verse 15. But when God... Who set me apart from what? Birth. Wait, wait, God set him apart from birth? So from the time that, that he was born, God already decided he was going to go after Saul. Like God, God said, you know what, this is what's going to happen in this guy's life. Like God had it all charted out. See, that's nuts. I mean, the first time I encountered that, I never really remembered that about Paul. The first time I encountered something like that was when I was on that trip up in the mountains. And, and God just opened up the Bible and just kind of fell on Jeremiah chapter 1, a passage I had never really studied before. I'd read through it, but I never really looked at it. And in Jeremiah chapter 1, God says to Jeremiah in verse 5, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. blood and righteousness I did not trust the sweetest friend but holy trust in Jesus name Christ alone cornerstone weak made strong his face I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil Christ
Now you can find all the programs of Heart and Soul on podcast. You can easily play this week's or past week's programs, or you can even download them to your device just in a few minutes. Try to search for Heart and Soul at your iTunes store now. There are people who gave up their lives in honor of Christ who gave us our everlasting life. Continued is a story of the many people who endured their life with faith, titled The Voice of the Martyrs. Hello everyone, this is Rhonda Walker with The Voice of the Martyrs. When a person devotes their entire life to something, they must have absolute faith in it. No one wants to commit their life for something that they are unsure of. In early Christian history, it was hard for people to believe that Christ actually had risen from the dead. It was something beyond human imagination. Thus, many people argued that the disciples of Jesus made up the resurrection story and were confusing the general public with lies. However, as more and more disciples willingly gave up their life for the good news of Christ, people began to wonder if their claim of Jesus' resurrection could actually be true, because no one would actually die for something they falsely made up. That is right. A person would never sacrifice their life for a lie unless they actually believe that it is true. Knowing that it is a lie, no one would devote their life to it, especially if they themselves had fabricated it. This is why people actually opened their heart for Christ after witnessing the followers of Christ give up their lives without hesitation for Jesus. Some scholars believe that the Apostle Paul's change of heart occurred at the martyrdom of Stephen, the deacon. The story of St. Adrian from the 4th century also follows a similar narrative. Let's listen to the story of St. Adrian, who used to persecute Christians as a Roman judge. In the 4th century AD, two emperors, Diocletian and Maximian, governed the Roman Empire. These two emperors are known for their cruelty against Christians. They demolished all of the churches, burnt Bibles, confiscated Christian Roman citizenship, and enforced the worship of Roman gods. Maximian often led the army himself to eliminate Christians. One day, he heard that Christians were hiding in a cave praying and praising God day and night. He again led an army to Nicomedia, where the cave was located, and found the group of Christians who were praising God all night long. The army of Maximian dragged out Christians, beat them, and chained them to bring them to court. The head of the court was a young judge called Adrian. Adrian ordered the arrested Christians to worship the Roman gods but not a single Christian complied. Adrian began to torture them to force their loyalty to the Roman gods. However, as the torture became harsher, the Christians' faith seemed to only get stronger. Adrian began to wonder, what makes them so resilient to such cruel torture? What gives them the strength to persevere? What reward are they waiting for? To Adrian's wondering mind, God gave an answer through the words of a martyr. But just as it is written, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. In easy words, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 is saying that God has prepared something that no one has ever seen, heard, or imagined for those who love God. A reward that no one has ever seen, heard, or imagined? A reward that is only granted for whom God loves? Adrian began to yearn for that reward. All of a sudden, he was overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit during the trials and confessed that he would die for Christ with the rest of the Christians. 
the judge who had been torturing and judging the Christians was now imprisoned with the very same prisoners. However, the most amazing thing was yet to come. Adrian's wife, Natalia, was a believer. When she heard the news that Adrian had changed his mind about Christ and was imprisoned, Natalia ran to the jail. When she saw Adrian, her words surprised everyone watching. Adrian, you are so blessed. You finally found the treasure as well. Once brought to the emperor, Adrian confessed his loyalty to the king of the heaven instead of the emperor of the land. The torturing was intensified, but Adrian and his fellow Christians never rejected Christ. Infuriated, Maximilian ordered to amputate Adrian's arms and legs and to burn his corpse. Throughout the whole process, Natalia kept encouraging and supporting her husband's faith. Adrian and all the Christians kept their faith in Jesus Christ and boldly met their end in this world. Watching people who are willing to abandon their lives for something else, Adrian began to question the source of such courage. What is worth more than their own lives in this world? The answer was simple. Jesus Christ, who gives eternal life. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Mark chapter 8, verses 35 through 37. The world is not worthy of those who are willing to leave this world for Jesus Christ and the good news. They already possess something that is even more valuable than life here on earth. That concludes this week's episode of The Voice of the Martyrs. Thank you for listening, and God bless you.
It is always fascinating and mind-blowing to see the works of God. We cannot fathom how high, deep, and wide He is. Lately, I have had these thoughts in my head. I might be satisfied with my life right now, as the life Ruth and Naomi had in chapter 2, with just the one effa of barley and some food to fill my stomach. God, this is enough. I am more than satisfied. With all this grace you have graciously poured into my life, there is nothing else I can ask for. Am I praying this prayer and wanting to stay in these circumstances I am in now? God might have much greater plans and blessings He eagerly wants to pour into my life, but I am not able to see anything past the blessings already in my life, and maybe not wanting to move forward, or even perhaps afraid of what else He may have stored for me to do. However, God does not want us to be satisfied with just an effa of barley. Although we cannot imagine what God has stored for us, He has much greater plans for us and is calling us every moment to be molded and work so that His glory may be revealed through our lives. Sometimes we ask Him, God, what picture do you draw with someone like me? What plans does God have stored for me? Sometimes thinking about what God might have planned for me overwhelms my heart. Although I am weak and not worthy enough, I look forward to see what God has ready for me. For I am confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus, are the very scriptures of Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. I truly believe God has plans for each and every one of us, and I also believe he has already started working in our lives. God will not give up on us until that day His glory is revealed through us. God knows us better than we know ourselves, and I truly believe He has stored for us the very best and will lead us to live that life. I hope that we may all look forward to His calling for us and pray that all of our listeners will respond back in obedience to Him. We will now wrap up Unity in Christ. Thank you for listening as it has been my pleasure. I hope to see you this time again next week, and God bless. And I hear the Savior say, Thy strength indeed is small. Child of weakness, watch and pray. Find in me thine all in all. Cause Jesus paid it all, all. To him I owe Sin had left a crimson stain He washed it white as
left a crimson stain He washed it white as snow